we need to properly understand Jesus's purpose. And I believe one of the uh, misconceptions to the church has been a misconception to Jesus. And so when we find out why Jesus came, what his role and what his purpose was in the earth, then we can better understand why we're here, the church, what we're supposed to be doing on a daily basis, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so we're going to be getting into that aspect. Next week, we're going to start looking at what was the purpose of the church. But I want to kind of give a, uh, 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 a prerequisite, if you will, to the purpose of the church to fully understand it. And here in Matthew chapter 28, uh, those of you that have seen this before, maybe heard this from a pastor before, you've probably heard of it called the Great Commission. Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go do something. But I want to show you something today that I believe is the great omission, the greatest part of it that's been left out. And we have reduced it, watered it down, and gone to a surface level. And I want to bring back what Jesus was really trying to say in these verses. So in verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He begins the Great Commission by talking about authority and by talking about power. Remember in Matthew 16, verse 19, right after he says, I will build my church, he goes right into saying, and, the, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. And we saw that those keys denote authority or power. They denote a right or a privilege to have access to something and to implement something in the earth. So not just anybody can do what Jesus is about to say. He's saying specifically to my church, the local church, I'm giving this authority. He says all authority. So if Jesus has all authority, the devil has no authority. We've seen this. But now look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. He doesn't say be disciples. He says make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is where we're going to focus, teaching them to observe. First of all, the word disciple. Some of you may know this. The word disciple simply means to be a pupil or a student. To be a pupil or a student. It means uh, that you follow not only after the teacher, but also the teaching. Not only are we following a man, but we're following what the man commanded us to do. In the church today, we don't put a whole lot of emphasis on what he's told us to do, how he has told us to live, who he has told us to be. And so we've got to bring back to the great commission, the great omission, which is teaching others to be disciples. The church today has become very, uh, very good very articulate, if you will, at making converts. Gathering numbers of those that we say are born again. We got 53 saved at 
last night's rally. We got 671 born again into the kingdom. And that's great. That is a part of getting into the kingdom and a part of being a disciple. In fact, none of us are disciples without making that first action. You are not a disciple of Jesus without first being born again. Remember he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus did, you know, uh, Nicodemus came and said, how do I see the kingdom of God? How can I enter the kingdom of God? And he said, you must be born again. And, and uh, uh, Nicodemus said, how can I be born of my mother again? How can I go back into my mom and be born again? And Jesus said, no, 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 no you, you're missing this. I'm not talking about a natural birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Spiritual birth of accepting me as your Lord and Savior, believing that I have acted uh, upon the cross, risen again, and you will be saved. As Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So getting people in the kingdom, that's been the easy part. Getting people to believe that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. He has redeemed you and saved you from the penalty of sin, of having to die and go to hell. That I don't have to go there anymore, now I can go to heaven. But Jesus wanted to go deeper than conversion. He wanted to go deeper than just converting someone, just getting someone to do or get someone to say something. He wanted people to do something. And there's a passage over where Jesus quoted Isaiah saying, they have confessed me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. That's not the people God's looking for. God's not looking for a people that just confess something but there's never a doing behind the saying. There's never a being behind the becoming. You become something to be something, and you say something to do something. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. Notice that one of the greatest acts of being a disciple is making disciples. One of the greatest acts of being a disciple is making disciples. Now, this is my passion personally. As a pastor, there are people that are passionate about winning the lost. And I'm passionate about winning the lost. I'm passionate about getting people to Jesus. But even Jesus called himself a door. And we've, been, we've become great at getting people to the door. But are we getting them inside the door to enjoy everything that's on the inside of the kingdom of God? Jesus said, I am the way. Not the end result. The cross is a beginning point. You, anyone ever seen runners in a relay race or, you know, when they're running track and they all have a starting point? When that gun goes off, that's the starting point. And they don't get there and say, all right, finished, I made it. I made it to the race, guys. I win. No, they have just shown up to begin the race. And what did Paul say? I am running toward the prize. I'm going to apprehend that which I have been apprehended for. God has apprehended us to then go after and apprehend something else. So the first act that we need to understand in becoming a disciple is learning to be a disciple and then go out and make disciples. 
You know, the, the evangelist, you know, we've seen the five-fold ministry, the evangelist, the teacher, the, the pastor, prophet. The evangelist is the one that is hardcore about winning the lost. That's his passion. Recently, there was a, an evangelist that came to this town uh, from a very large ministry down in Florida. If I said his name, you'd probably know who he is. And he came here. Uh, and they're wanting to do a revival here, and that's awesome. I want to get in on that, amen? Churches coming together and seeing, churches coming together, dropping denominational lines, dropping doctrine, dropping I believe this, I believe that, you believe this, and, and, and getting away from the separation and saying, we need to see souls come to the kingdom. He, he said something so awesome, it just moves you. He said, if every single person in Valdosta decided to go to church on Sunday morning, we wouldn't have enough chairs, and we wouldn't have enough parking spaces. That's a true statement. You take the biggest church in this town, the biggest sanctuary, you can fill them all up, and there's still going to be somebody looking for a seat. That's eye-opening. That's eye-opening. So he wants to come here and do a revival. He wants to set up a huge tent here. They want to do things to get people. You know, uh, Jesus even knew sometimes you got to meet a natural need before you open up people spiritually. See, when you meet someone's natural need, you then open up their heart to receive something spiritual. The homeless man doesn't want to hear about Jesus till I give him something to feed his stomach. Amen? And so, you know, he wants to do giveaways and wants to do all these different things, and, and, and that's great. We got to see people won to Jesus. But that's just the beginning. And so I had to ask, what's the follow-up plan? What's the turnover rate? Because the conversion, you know, he, he, he threw out a number. We had a, uh, we had a meeting. There was, uh, you know, 2,000-something people there, and, and we saw 778 people born again. I want to call those people three months from now, and are you still in church? Who's discipling you? Who, who are you meeting with that's developing you? Let's get people attached to those people. Get connected. Why? Because we got to grow up in this thing. The, uh, Paul talked about uh, the birth into the kingdom. You are a baby. Babes in Christ. Children. And so we got to grow. We're all growing up. There's nobody in here that says, I have re reached full maturity. I know all there is, and now I can help you. That's not possible. Not in the kingdom of God. We're always maturing. We're always learning. We're always growing. We're always adding to and we're always cutting things off. That's the life of the believer. Why? Because this world is continually cycling around you. This world is continually vying for your attention, vying for everything you are. And just because you prayed a prayer doesn't mean the devil has come off and says, well, I lost him. In fact, he works all the more. In fact, he's going after you all the more. Because before you were saved, you were actually working for him. He liked that. It was okay. And you lived under his domain. You lived under his rule. You lived under his darkness, his death. Your world was dictated by him. You were enjoying the fun of sin. But even sin only lasts for a while. And pretty much in the end, its wage will pay out in death. Here you go. Here's your paycheck for the past two weeks of living in sin. Here's some death for you. That's how it pays out. That's the wage. But the gift of God 
brings peace and love and joy. So there's things we're able to enjoy in this life, but there is a purpose outside of just getting converted and saying a prayer. There's a necessity to win the lost. There's a necessity to make disciples. That is the purpose of the church. Now, again, we, we, we'll, we'll probably have to fight this for a while until we get there. But when I say church, don't think of this. The purpose of this place is not the same as your purpose because the church is a people, not a place. The church is a group of believers that come together. This is called an assembling of believers. And Paul says, or you know, whoever wrote Hebrews, we believe it's Paul. I, I always just automatically go to Paul. He's the number one candidate for that book. But we don't know actually who wrote Hebrews. But the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together with the saints. So this is important. Church services, the assembling of the body together. But there are churches today that have made a greater emphasis in their church services to win the lost. I know of pastors that have said, if you're coming here to grow up and to, to get spiritually fat, you're in the wrong place. Now, I don't want you to get spiritually fat because we have to grow and then there's a doing. There's an application. But if every single time I get here, I'm only ministering to the lost person, then we're not doing our job here. I'll be honest with you, we're not doing our job. This is a place of instruction. This is a place of educating. Because here's the goal. Every teacher ought to teach in a way to get the student to be able to do what the teacher's doing. What good is it if you have a teacher in school teaching you math, but they don't want you to actually know how to do it? So we just, we stay with two plus two. And then we get into the second grade and we're still on two plus two. Then we get to the fifth grade and we're still on two plus two. And well, my book's actually got this little dash thing with two dots on top of it. Oh, and what's this X for? And then we get into high school, and what are these Y's, and what are all these parentheses for? All I know is 2 plus 2. Oh, don't worry about that. I, I'll, I'll take care of that. You're the student. All you need to know is 2 plus 2. 2 plus 2 is necessary, because if I can't get 2 plus 2, I'm not going to be able to get X plus Y. But there's more to learn in every level Every season, I ought to have learned something here that I can apply here. Helping me, helping me learn addition at this level is helping me learn subtraction at this level and multiplication at this level and division at this level and fractions at this level and geometry and calculus and all the way on up until 
we've got the whole picture and we're able to do it all, not because someone enabled us and kept helping us along the way, but because we learned to do it ourselves. And so that's the role of church services. Look in Acts chapter 2. This is immediately after the first church is born. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. They're all speaking in tongues, 120 of them up in the upper room. And then the people down below, they hear them speaking in their own languages. The Holy Spirit falls. 3,000 people come to know Jesus immediately in one day, in one sitting. But look what it says in verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. The receiving was spiritual. The baptism is natural. The baptism, being baptized in water, is an outward reflection of what's taking place on the inside. On the inside, I have gone down and come up new. So on the outside, I'm reflecting that by going down with the old and coming up with the new. But keep going, because they didn't even stop with baptism. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued. Everyone say continued. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is the first church. They didn't all go home and say, well, we got Jesus, all right. When are we going to heaven? Heaven's not even mentioned in this passage. But continuing, 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 continuing in the doctrine, in fellowship, in prayer. That is where they gain the value of becoming a believer, becoming a disciple. They said, we're going to follow after the teacher Jesus, be followers of him, and do what he did. Do what he did. Jesus came and did what he did so we could do what he did. He came as an example, and not just as an example of how to be nice to people and how to talk about God and how to be a good, godly, Christian person. He came to do more than that. He came to do way more than that. To the point that in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled because they had a different teacher. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Can people say the same for us? Can people realize that person's been with Jesus? That person is a disciple of Jesus. That person has accepted Jesus not only as their Lord and Savior, but their teacher, their master, and they're following him in everything, everything Jesus did. Because remember, these people knew Jesus. These are the ones that killed Jesus. This isn't like a hundred years later. This is like a couple months later. 
Jesus is still fresh on their mind. That they killed him. That he was buried and he rose again. Peter and John, they went by and they raised up a lame man. Did Jesus ever raise up any lame people? Absolutely. They go by, raise up a lame man, and they, these, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they realize we killed the man, but now there's more people doing what he did. Now we've got a bigger problem on our hands. Now we're not just dealing with one person. Now we got a whole group of people that are doing what Jesus did when he was on the planet. Now we've got a big problem. They're standing here in court. They're on trial right here. And the men that they're standing before realize, wait a minute. These guys must have been with Jesus. These guys must have spent time with Jesus. Why did they realize that? Because they looked just like him. Not naturally. They didn't grow out their beards and grow their hair real long like Jesus did. There's people that do that. There's people that when Jesus said, take up your cross, there's people out there right now literally taking up crosses and walking around places. But he didn't mean naturally. He meant the things that I do, you do. You want to look like Jesus, do the things that he did. Walk with the same boldness and the same power. The teacher has taught the student how to do what the teacher is doing. They've become disciples. They've become known now as people that look like Jesus, have spent time with Jesus. Was that really Jesus' goal? Look in Matthew chapter 10. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Brent, go ahead and uh, search for John 14, 12 and dump that in there for me. We'll go there after this. John, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. Why did he give them power? If it's all about Jesus, if it's all about the teacher, and you're just a student, just watch and watch what I do, then why is he transferring power to them? Does Jesus have power? Yeah, we just saw all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Now he's transferring. It's called delegating to his disciples that power. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. The names of the 12 apostles are these, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't that interesting that they're preaching the same exact thing Jesus came preaching? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
the kingdom of heaven is near you. So they're preaching the same thing. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Watch this. Freely you have received. That's the easy part. Most believers don't have a hard time with we've received something. We have received eternal life or we received salvation or we've received redemption from hell and from our sins. But now he turns it around and says freely give. Because you have received something, you're now qualified to give something away. What you receive qualifies you to now give something away. That's interesting. And Jesus turns it right back around to his 12 disciples and says, now you go and do what I've been doing. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says these words, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Why will we do the works? Because he won't be here to do them. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus did not expect his mission to end with his life. Jesus did not expect his mission to end with his life. He expected it to go on with his church. He expects his church to carry on what he came to do. Look, if the local church is the body of Christ, is Jesus in the earth, then why would we do anything different than what Jesus did when he was here? People say miracles, signs, and wonders. That's not for today. Why do we go through and pick and choose what's for today and what's not for today? First of all, his word says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what Jesus did yesterday, he's still doing today, and he will do forever through his church. He doesn't change. His mandate hasn't changed. His purpose hasn't changed. What he came to do 2,000 years ago is what he's still doing today and what he will be doing tomorrow. What day did all that stop? What day did miracles, signs, and wonders stop? I mean, if it's for a different period of time and not for today, then show me the day that it quit. Show me the generation that it ran out on. Show me the time period or the age that it's no longer usable. No. See, church is easy. Anybody can do church. The way we think of church today, the definitions we have for church, anybody can do that. Anybody can drive somewhere, show up, and listen to someone speak for a little bit. Anybody can do that. Anybody can, can come and, and sing a few songs, listen to somebody talk about the Bible and tell some good stories. Anybody can do that. Anybody can give 
10%. Anybody can do that. Anybody can give. Everybody can do that. But the kingdom, that's what brings responsibility. Jesus' definition of my church is different than our definition of his church. And that one takes a little more dedication, a little more commitment. To be a true disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple that hears the word, walks out, lives the word, shares the word, carries the message of the kingdom wherever they go. You don't have to be in church. You ought to be growing to a point where you don't have to say, well, you should hear my pastor say it. You should hear my pastor talk about it, and you should be able to share it right there with them. They have a question, and it shouldn't. We ought to be able to get to a point, well, hey, if you come to my church, you can hear Pastor Mark say, no, you should be able to say, here's what the Bible says. Because that's a disciple that is learning what the teacher is teaching, not just hearing something and then it falls somewhere else. No, that's a disciple is one that hears the word, lives it out, applies it, shares it, and is able to change their world. How do you change the world? By changing your world. If every one of us walks out of here and goes and changes our world, that's how you change the world. Notice that Jesus didn't just send them all over the place and scatter them and just say, go start hitting houses. He didn't say that. In fact, right here, he tells them where not to go. Do not go to the Gentiles. Do not go to the Samaritans. Go to Israel. And then, when he's about to ascend into heaven over in Acts chapter 1, he says, go into Judea, go into Samaria, go into the uttermost parts of the earth. He was very direct in where to go and who to talk to. Why? Because we have to hit our world before we're going to get the world. Well, I'm going to go to Africa, and I'm going to go travel here, and I'm going to go travel there. If God's called you to, great. That's your world that he's given you. But many of us, we've got a world right in our own backyard that's lost, dying, going to hell, and needs to know who Jesus is so they can get in the doorway and understand and live the kingdom life. And so that's why this disciples, being a disciple of Jesus, goes deeper. If you look in the book of Acts, the disciples aren't even the ones that called themselves Christians. That was not a term. They didn't all gather around one day and say, hey, what should we call ourselves? I think we should call ourselves Christians. Hey, that's a good idea, Peter. Let's all call ourselves Christians. That's not how it went down. They called themselves the brethren. They called themselves believers. It was outsiders that said, these people look like Jesus Christ, so they must be Christians. They were called Christians because they looked like Jesus. Not because, well, hey, I've prayed the prayer, so I'm a Christian. Now, yes, that's the first act 
that has to take place. I'm not making light of salvation. I'm not making light of the cross. But I'm letting you know what happens when you get in this thing. When you get inside the kingdom. What this salvation leads to. It's more important than just praying a prayer and then waiting for heaven. More important than that. There's more to reach. Being a disciple means making disciples. Being a disciple means applying and observing to do what he's commanded us to do. That's what Matthew 28 verse 19 said. Teaching them to observe to do all that I commanded you to do. So there's an application of what he has taught us to do. So you see here, they're told to preach the gospel of the kingdom. They're told to lay hands on the sick. They're told to cast out demons. They're told to raise the dead. They're told to cleanse the lepers. There's a proclaiming of the kingdom, and there's also a demonstrating of the kingdom. And recognize that all of those require authority. Why did Jesus give his disciples power and authority over all those things? Because what Jesus is saying is, proclaim the kingdom of God, but also demonstrate that there's a power that's higher and greater than the one that's in control on this earth, and you can change what is around you by living out the kingdom of God. The demons, the devils, you have authority over them. Cast them out. Sickness and disease, you have authority over it. Cast it out. Death itself, you have authority over it. Call them back to life. You have that authority. You have that power. I'm giving it to you. It's not just Jesus. He transfers, he delegates that power to his church. Remember we said Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body. The head can will and want to do it all they want. But the body's the one carrying out. We even have songs about it. We are the hands. We are the feet. My voice is his voice. Well, what are the hands and the feet doing? What is the voice saying? It's not whatever we want to do. If your body does whatever it wants to do outside of what your head wants it to do, you take the thing to the doctor and you say, we need to get this thing straightened out. If your body is throwing up food that you want to keep down so it nourishes and provides nutrients to your body, you go to the doctor and get it checked out because here's what I want my stomach to do, but here's what it is doing. It's rejecting everything I'm putting in it, but I need it to take it in so I can be strong and healthy. The church today isn't doing what it wants to do. His church today is doing what he wants it to do. And he's already outlined it very clearly in his word. But remember, when you're not connected to the head, when you're not connected to the word, that's when you start operating in death. 
That's when we start operating outside of Jesus, outside of his example, outside of what his word tells us to do. And then we're no longer his church. So we've got to get in line with the head. We've got to get in line with the word to be a disciple. For this body to reflect his will, I've got to get in line with his will. His, the head is not going to get in line with the body. Oh, you don't want to do miracles and signs and wonders? You don't want to do it? That's fine. I'll, 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 I'll compromise with you. No, his body does what Jesus commanded us to do. These works that I do, you will do. And what's the qualifier for him who believes? Believe. Do I have any believers here? Amen. Matthew chapter 19. Here's the thing we got to look at. Being a disciple is not as easy as just calling yourself a disciple. There's some follow-through. There's some follow-up that has to take place. How many of you are still a Christian and still living this Christian life because someone came alongside you and has helped you grow up? When Camden was born, if I would have just left him there, said, all right, clean yourself up, feed yourself, make your bottle, here's a fork and a knife. I mean, I could place a whole meal of food right next to him, give him a fork and knife. In fact, he's probably going to hurt himself more than he's going to feed himself. Leaving new believers unattended, is against God's will. It's like leaving a baby and you can leave them, you can leave everything you want around them. Here's your diapers. Here's your change of clothes. Here's the bathtub over here. Here's your food. Here's all the ingredients you need. Here's what we do. You're a new Christian, great. Here's the Bible. See you later. This can be dangerous to a new believer if they don't know what they're doing. How many of you, this was the most confusing book on the face of the planet when you first got saved? Still confuses me. <laughs> There's still things in there. I'm thinking, man, I can't chew that one yet. I'm going to have to get some more teeth, or I'm going to have to get a, a bigger knife to cut this thing open. There's still things I'm searching out, and I will for the rest of my life. Okay, but for a new believer, placing steak in front of a baby, forget it. No, we have to grow people up. We have to understand that when you are born again, you're literally born. You're not born 15 years in. You're not born 
as a mature adult, you're born as a baby that has to have everything done for you. And then as you grow, you establish accountability. And then we get to a point now I can let you walk a little bit. Oh, you may fall down, but we'll pick you right back up and get you right back in applying this. Learning new tastes, learning new foods, and then cutting things off. Hey, we don't need the bottle anymore because now we're eating solid food. We don't need diapers anymore because now we use the bathroom on the potty. Now we can wear big boy underwear and put on your big boy pants. What are we doing? We're growing up. And then when they grow up and they become elementary, then they start to take on more things. Become an adolescent, take on more things. Become a teenager, take on more things. You got to drive a 13-year-old everywhere. They're not allowed behind the wheel. They might think they're old enough. They might think they're big enough. Hey, I can reach the pedals, but it's not about reaching the pedals. It's about knowledge. It's about knowing how to drive this thing and be safe with it. But then there's a point, hey, I don't have to drive you around anymore, man. You know how to drive. You go to the store and get some milk. You go there. You go, you go do this. Then they learn to get a job. Hey, I don't have to pay for that anymore. You go. You, you got money. You got cash. I try to pull that one on my parents. Got my own job, making my own money. Still try to, are you out of that habit of that 20, you know? Are, are we there yet? Because if not, I'll, hey, we'll splurge. That's all right. But eventually it comes, no, we don't go there. Now we are self-sufficient. So there's a growth process. Why we apply this in the natural but don't apply it in the spiritual, it, 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 it's not, it can't happen. We have to see this as a spiritual connotation. We have to see the reflection. Matthew chapter 19. Now behold, one came to him and said, Verse 16, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? How can I follow you? How can I be in your kingdom? How can I live the life you're living? Here's a question. Are we living a life that has people asking, how can I have what you have? Jesus lived a life that was so contrary and so different that people began to ask him, how? Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. Anybody got any phone calls in the middle of the night from someone saying, hey, how, how can I live that life you're living, man? You, you just seem to have it all together. Everything's going great for you. Jesus is getting, getting bugged right here in the middle of the night saying, that kingdom, how can I be in that? How can I enter in this kingdom you're talking about? So Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to them, he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? He knew there's still something missing. There's another level here that I'm not applying. I'm not putting to use. What is it? 
Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, this is not the first person that Jesus has said, follow me. And up to this point, Jesus has had a pretty good rate of saying, follow me, and getting people to follow him. He's done pretty well. He's got 12 of them. He's actually got more than that. Jesus is disciples. There was one time he sent out 70 in pairs to go minister and go preach. So he's got people following him. But this command was too hard for this young man. In verse 22 it says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is a young man that wanted to follow Jesus. This is the one this is a young man that saw the life that Jesus was living and wanted to know what do I have to do to get in there? But Jesus identified something in this man. It wasn't riches, it wasn't money, it wasn't things. You can't turn this verse around and say that we're supposed to be poor to follow Jesus. We can't have anything. We just got to be poor and desolate and, and just barely making it by so we can always be trusting and relying on Jesus. Hey, I know people that have quite a bit of stuff, that have quite a bit of money, have things. They don't have to worry about those things, those things they have in excess, and they still rely on Jesus for everything. So I don't have to be poor, desolate, and get rid of everything I own to trust and rely on Jesus. But Jesus looks at this man, and he identifies something. He says, you want to come follow me? You want to come and be a part of what I'm a part of? And you have to only follow me. Only follow me. There is a cost to discipleship. And we must count the cost. What's the cost? It will definitely be time. I'll tell you right now. Time is God's currency. He doesn't operate with money. That's why money is no thing for him. You got a bill, got a $180 electric bill, you have no way to pay it today. He ain't concerned with that. Money is nothing to him. He walks on streets of gold. <laughs> He's walking on the stuff that we're wearing around our necks and we value and put to high esteem and we lock away in cabinets and he's trampling all over it. You ever seen mud prints on gold? Probably not. But he's walking on the stuff. Money's no thing to him. His currency is time. His currency is how much do you value me by how much time do you spend with me? His value is determined in time. I, I, I've seen people that give large amounts of money to the church, but they don't give him any time. 
and their, that their value isn't measured in what they write to the church every month. Their value is measured in how much time am I given to my king, to my Lord, to my teacher, because time is how you learn. You can't just, in, there are so many things in this day and age that we can do immediately. We can get a full five-course meal immediately. There's things you can get right now. But there's one thing you cannot get immediately, and that's knowledge. It's impossible. It takes meditation. It takes time. It takes value placed on something. And so here... He's telling this young man that your value for me is measured in will you really follow me and make me the Lord of your life. What did Jesus do? He just identified something that had a grip on his life. And discipleship costs everything. But here's the great thing about it. Following Jesus causes those things to follow you. So going after Jesus, there's riches. There's everything that I need. There's all provision. There's friends. There's a good job. But yet here's what we do. We go after the riches. We go after the provision. We go after the job. We go after the friends. And going after those things distract you from going after him. A true disciple only has one pursuit. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. He identified with this young man that there might be something that you're chasing after that would distract you from chasing after me. Look at this over in Luke chapter 9. Being a disciple, the great omission, is not about making converts. It's not about getting people to say one thing with their mouth and live the rest of their lives chasing after something else. This life is about stripping things away. Look, the real life of a Christian, the real life of a believer is not easy. Because you have to strip away everything you see for something you cannot see. That's probably the number one hardest thing in a Christian's life. Is getting away from everything that attacks our mindset, that vies for our time, everything that we see in this natural realm, and understand that none of that is a priority over the thing that I cannot see, the kingdom of God. Over my head. And his church is the one that goes wholeheartedly after him and seeks nothing else in this earth. It doesn't mean we don't have it. It means that those things actually come seeking us. Do you want to be someone that spends the rest of your life going after wealth and riches and provision and friends and money and good jobs and careers and retirement and a house and nice cars? Or do you want to be someone that all those things are running you down? I don't know about you, but I'd rather be that person. How'd you get that car? It was added. How'd you get such a good job? 
favor. Why? Because I'm just chasing after Jesus. And he's making sure that these things are in my life, that I'm provided for, I'm taken care of. So we have to identify what we ought to be following after. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds like a lot of us. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Now he's going to someone else, saying, you come follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. What's he saying? There's a cost to discipleship. The ones that are my true disciples, my church, is the people that go wholeheartedly after me without looking back, without being distracted, without having other priorities. being worthy of his call, being worthy of discipleship, being worthy, placing him first, placing him first with your time. Well, I don't, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm tired. You know, I think it might be okay if I skip this one Sunday. Give him your time. Man, I got a lot to do tomorrow. And I, you know, we got, I got out of work late. We got homework to do tonight. I, I, you know, I, I think Wednesday is going to be difficult. Give him your time. Make him the priority. Man, I, I don't know. I, I just I don't feel like I can pray right now. It's just so much other stuff going on. Give him your time. Be in his word. Talk about him with other people. Let him be on your lips. Praise him and thank him. Let him be the first person you go to when something arises in your life. Not the last alternative. Too many times, God is the last one we go to because nothing else worked. The bank wouldn't give me a loan. I'm out of credit cards. I, 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 my credit's not that good. I don't have the cash on hand. Okay, God, you got to show up. Let him be the first one. God, I've got other options here. But you're the first person I'm going to. Now, if he says use the other routes, then you are doing what he says. But God, you're the priority. Make him first priority, not the last option. Not even the second. Well, let me just try it out this way. If this doesn't work, then I promise I'll let you have this promise. It doesn't work that way. Jesus gets first place. The head. The body ought to be going to the head and saying, how are we going to do this? How are we going to figure this out? I'll tell you right now, the biggest reason why we don't hear from the head is because we got too much other stuff going on in this realm. Period. And this day and age, there are more distractions out there than there ever were in Jesus' time. 
Being a disciple is about following. But the question is, is what are we following? Oh, I follow Jesus. You know, I, I mean, I go to church. You know, I have a Bible. You know, I read it every now and then. Are you giving things up to make sure you have time for him? That's the question. He wasn't looking at that rich young man saying, you got to be poor and desolate or you're not going to be able to have anything that I'm about because look at me, I'm just a sorry piece of trash here on the earth, but you know, I'm, look what I'm accomplishing for God. No, he's saying, i got to make sure there's nothing between me and you. If there's anything here, it's got to get out of the way. We should, on a regular basis, be making that check in our lives. Prove to God that this isn't in the way. Prove to him. God, Facebook is not in the way. I will not spend more time on Facebook than I will in your word. Then prove it. Take a week. Take seven days and go to the word every time you would go to Facebook. Just prove it to him. It's not about the action. Look at me. I'm not on Facebook. And, and, and Jesus said it. When you fast, fix yourself up. Don't look like you're all sorry and beat down. Don't put a message on Facebook, I'm spending more time with God so I can't talk to you. Bye. No. I see people do that all the time. Taking some time off from social media. Why do you got to let people know? If they need to get you, they'll call you. If they're important enough, they got your number in their contacts. They got your email. They, there's other ways to get a hold of you. I had a friend one time when I shut mine down, I shut it down a while back, and, and he called me over the phone. Hey, what happened to your Facebook account? I just, I deleted it. I don't ever use it. And just, you know, I didn't feel like always running to that. I got rid of it. Well, how are we going to talk? How am I going to know what's going on in your life? We're talking right now, in person. Isn't this way better than you misassuming or misappropriating what I'm typing and texting and I have to put JK, LOL, haha in there so you know I'm not being serious? I mean, that was my thing is I put things on there. I, I can be sarcastic sometimes. And if I didn't put those little tags on there, people thought I was serious. Well, then you just don't know me well enough because <laughs> I'm not. That's just, that's just me. But prove to God your first place. There's things in my life that I have to go to. I have to prove to him, Dr. Pepper does not have more control over my life than you. It sounds silly. It sounds silly, but it's true. Brother Hagen was phenomenal, man. He, he uh, you know, uh, he was a, uh, pastoring at one church, or no, he was a traveling minister at this time, but uh, in the winter times, he'd go work at this uh, little drugstore back in the, you know, 30s and 40s. They had the little drugstores with the soda shop and everything in them, and, and he said every day, you know, I'd go in there, and I'd get a, uh, I'd drink a Coke before I, you know, started my shift or whatever, and there was one time in the summertime, I went and I walked past it, just walked past the drugstore, didn't smell it, didn't see a sign, didn't see a Coca-Cola, didn't have someone offer it to him, just walked past the drugstore, and his mouth watered for it, and he said, I will never have another Coke for the rest of, the, for the rest of my life. 
to shut it down. Why? He said, there is no thing in this earth that will control my body and control my flesh so much that it longs for it and thirsts for it. Why? God's first place. He's priority. Nothing else dictates my life. Nothing tells me what I'm going to do, when to do it, and how to do it, except for God's word. There are people that have a hard time hearing God when he speaks because so many other things are talking. Being a disciple means nothing else is in the way. Am I saying soda's bad? Of course not. Am I saying Facebook's bad? Of course not. Was Jesus saying that money and riches and possessions was bad? No. He was saying when it comes between, if I say go and give that to the poor, and you can't go and give that to the poor, something else is talking louder than I'm talking. And that's not the life of a disciple. A life of a disciple is listening to the teacher. Anyone ever been distracted in class, in high school? Any, or were you the distraction? <laughs> Yeah, there's distractions, man. There's always distractions. I remember in my math class, we had back, you know, I say back in the day. It wasn't that long ago, I guess. It was 12 years ago now for me. But when we, we had projectors, and the teacher would write on these, uh, you know, clear sheets, do the math problems. Do they still do that today? They used to. So they write on the projectors, and they flash it up. And now, you know, they're using computers, and they've got all their special media that they use, but I figured out something in math. I could kill about a good 15 to 20 minutes of class. I sat right next to the projector, and a little fan blew right on me, blowing that hot air. And one day I said, man, I'm tired of that, so I took a Kleenex box and stuck it in front of the fan. The bowl blew. It wasn't blowing that hot air out. They had to go downstairs, go find where the bulbs are, go find the closet. I mean, it burned about a good 15 minutes. Then someone had to figure out how to install it. How do you, you got to unscrew all this stuff, put the new bulb in. <laughs> hmm, interesting. So every now and then, when I was just like, man, I just can't pay attention right now, take that Kleenex box, move it right there, give it about a good five, seven minutes, blow that thing. Everybody's... Wondering what in the world's going on. I'm sitting back. Do you remember where the bulbs were? Did you write it down? Do you remember the instructions on how to put this thing in? Because if not, we're going to be here a while. And we just kill time, man. <laughs> Distractions. <laughs> like, man, I don't feel like putting my attention to that right now. Something's distracting me. Something is, don't you go using that. It's probably not as easy for you today. You'd have to go unplug something. You'd have to go find back in the wires or something. Not as easy. They probably figured out my bulb blowing plans. But I'd do that every now and then. Distractions. God wants to know, I'm the teacher. You're the student. Don't let anything distract me because your discipleship counts on you giving me time, giving me priority in your life. 
and then we can turn around and make disciples. Then we can turn around, we can be the disciple, not just the convert, be a disciple, go after God with everything we have, and then make disciples and properly show. See, there's people today, they're not properly showing people how to be a disciple because no one properly showed them how to be a disciple. They just said, pray this prayer. They just said, uh, uh, you know, just be a, as good of a person as you can. Go to church often. You know, pull out your Bible every now and then. But they weren't really taught the lifestyle of growing up spiritually, learning to cut things off in our lives, learning to give God more of our time and attention. They weren't taught those things. And so now their conquest is go and get people saved, get people saved, get people saved. I want people saved in droves, but I want people discipled in droves. Let's add to the kingdom. Let's add to the kingdom people that wholeheartedly seek after and go after God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Your word is awesome. Your word has full reign, full place in our lives. Father, I thank you that we begin to give you attention. Give attention to your word. Give attention to our daily lives. Get attention. Give attention to being a disciple. By being your disciple, Father, there's so many blessings in 